Welcome to Unfiltered. Who knew Saturday news could contain such multitudes? I'll have the latest on former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. I have R. Kelly and Robert Kraft details in the mix as well. There's a lot to get to. Let's start with tonight's headline. It's 2020 right now. Don't adjust your clocks. It may say it's 2019 on the calendar, but if you needed any proof that the 2020 presidential election is right here, right now, just take a look at this. Government is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all You know for the what's people. interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. <laughs> well, that was California Senator Dianne Feinstein getting schooled by children on the Green New Deal in a now viral video. What's that got to do with 2020? Well, you'll be shocked to learn that an unedited version of that video exists, which, in context, makes the senator look less like the villain in Hansel and Gretel. But it's just one example of recent dem-on-dem -dem crime. In this case, environmental activists confronting the California Democrat and posting her edited and seemingly smug response on social media. And this kind of stuff is only going to heat up as Democrats try to outleft each other on and off the campaign trail and prove their progressive bona fides. This is a fight for the heart and soul of the Democratic Party, yes, but it's also, may I remind you, supposed to be a fight for the White House. This kind of stuff isn't a good look. Just take a look at some of the latest headlines from the campaign trail. Bernie once praised bread lines 40 years ago. Amy Klobuchar ate a salad with a comb in 2008. Kamala Harris says she won't apologize for prosecuting child molesters. Well, I would hope not. Reparations to become the new litmus test for Democrats. If I'm Donald Trump, I'm feeling pretty good about my chances. As long as the media keeps zeroing in on these dumb plot lines, and as long as Democrats spend the next year talking about the things most Americans don't prioritize, and as long as candidates sound more like they're running for president in 1950 Russia instead of 2019 America, Trump's got this one in the bag. And that should be worrisome to Democrats. After all, President Trump is at record low approvals and he's facing a dozen different investigations. And yet, Elizabeth Warren is talking about reparations. The media is talking about Amy Klobuchar's salad comb. A former prosecutor has to defend her record of prosecuting criminals. This is all good for Trump, guys. Trust me. Here's the deal. Instead of playing right into Trump's hands, Democrats have to seriously sort out their messaging. Are they running for an audience of one, Amazon job killer Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Or are they running for all of America? Are they going to kill each other in the progressive primary only to set up a general election can't-win situation? Are they going to be uniters or dividers? Do they want to heal the country or do they want to make the country pay? One thing that would help Democrats sort through all of this, four letters... J-O-E, Biden that is, and fans of history will get that affectionate math joke at his expense. But whether he gets in or out is crucial to Democrats figuring out what they're running on. Biden's presence or absence in the Democratic primary will serve as a line of demarcation. If he's in, there's a clear distinction, both in tone and substance, between the far-left candidates and a more moderate one. Right now, Klobuchar is sort of filling that lane, but Biden would own it. If he doesn't get in, then there's no real governor keeping the other cars in the race at a safe speed. 
Harris and Warren and Bernie will zoom off to liberal la-la land and pull the rest of the candidates with them. And you'll have a Democratic primary that is unrelatable and a Democratic nominee that can't win a general election. Well, that's my two cents anyway, but uh, look, what do I know? Let's ask an actual Democrat and former presidential candidate, Howard Dean, former governor of Vermont, former DNC chair. Welcome, Governor. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so I laid it all out. Let me get your take on Joe Biden. Is he a game-changing factor in the Democratic Party? I have to say I disagree with your editorial opening here. Um, okay. <laughs> I actually think the real, the real <laughs> it was good, it was That's interesting, allowed. but I disagree with it. Um, <laughs> I, think, um, I think the real battle is not left versus right. There's, there is sniping going on and the media is not being helpful with their silly headlines and neither are the, yeah. are the bots on all sides that are you know, taking pot shots and edited videos and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But the truth is the real battle in the Democratic Party is between young people and old people and the young people are winning. That's huh. what we got 40 seats in the last election. They were not particularly progressive. AOC gets a lot of publicity, as she should, yeah. and she, I think she's right about a lot of things. But the vast majority of people who won those really tough seats are much more centrist. Uh, all those Orange County seats, you can't win in Orange County in the beating that we gave the Republicans uh, unless you're reasonably centrist, because it's still a centrist county, certainly not as yeah. conservative as it once was. So I don't worry about this. Uh, I don't think Biden's a game changer. I think he's just another uh, candidate. He's got 100% name recognition, which is great. Everybody just loves him. Just another which candidate. He will not be pleased to hear that. <laughs> well, uh, look, I'm just I'm staying neutral till the, till after the, you know till this is over because I'm now um, trying to get the data for the DNC together, and I have right. very strong feelings, as people may remember, about not having the DNC uh, put their finger on the scale. Uh, And, you know, I like Joe Biden, as does everybody else, and I respect him. But, you know, he's at 29 percent today in a poll of Iowans. He's got 100 percent name recognition. Everybody loves loves him. This is a wide open race. And in the next some year or so, people are going to make their opinions about people right now who they've never heard of. So there's going to be a lot more of this. And I'm not the least bit worried. Well, let's talk about Elizabeth Warren, because I know I know you you support her policies and. um, I think the Some only thing that matters, right, is 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 who can beat Trump. Do you really think Elizabeth Warren in a general election can beat Donald Trump? Sure, but we don't know yet. I mean, I think any of these people could beat Donald Trump, but it is also possible they could lose to Donald Trump. We are 12 yep, those months are the two out. possibilities. <laughs> Correct. Right. So we are <laughs> right. 12 months out. No, but yeah. here's the nice thing about the system we're now in. The voters actually get to decide what they think, not sure. you and I sitting here on CNN at CNN oh, at six o'clock. Don't on a Saturday I know night. it, Governor? Don't I know it? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. But let's talk about the, the the AOC factor. And you mentioned the the publicity she gets, and she gets a ton of it. She also courts it. Um, she's, you know, arguably trying to pull the party to the far left. But do you worry that things? like abolishing ICE or villainizing Amazon, which provides a pretty convenient service for millions of Americans, um, and an environmental plan that would abolish air travel. Do you worry that all that kind of stuff is a turnoff to the majority of the country and is setting up a Democratic candidate uh, you know, up for failure in, in a general election? I don't agree. First of all, she doesn't. She's not going to abolish air travel. What she's talking about is, and look, some of these things are going to be too expensive. Uh, she wants a high-speed uh, rail system that's going to make air travel mostly unnecessary. That's very different than saying she wants to abolish air travel. Look, we need somebody out where she is, starting to push us all, including Republicans, towards a solution to climate change. That's a serious problem. 
So it, it, is she a little further out than most of the Democrats or most Americans? Yeah, but that's how you get to a better place. Anybody who mm. thinks that, we, that, that climate change is not a, not a really critical issue shouldn't be in office. Um, and she aims to get them all out, and I agree with that aim. Then what we do about it, we're going to have lots of discussions. There are going to be lots of different points of view. I don't think yeah. it hurts to have somebody out on the edge there really saying, why haven't you done anything about it? Because, in fact, we haven't done as, nearly as much as we but should what have. About, yeah, but what about sending children into a senator's office um, to sort of harangue her for not, right now, right this second, uh, agreeing to, you know, pass a vote on, on the Green New Deal? Is that, is that the best well, look? I think, well, first of all, I don't think the media ought to air edited videos, and I blame the media for that in part. No, Look, the, no sir, many, let, let me just correct you. Let me just correct you, Governor. The media didn't edit it. The group that uh, I know was that. responsible for the activists, the, the group edited the video. We have been airing um, full, much full, full, fuller uh, clips. No, I appreciate that. I'm saying yeah. that the initial, the, initially... The media, and it was actually social media first, put up this. Right. That was that's just that's propaganda. It may not be as bad yes. as Alex Jones, who just makes stuff up. But you know, propaganda is not helpful on any side. Hmm. Uh, I think we do. We would like be nice to have a full airing of the facts because some facts are inconvenient. and You have to deal with them anyway. And Diane Feinstein's not wrong. We are going to have to make some compromises to get stuff done. Yeah. I, again, I like AOC because she pushes the envelope, and I think it needs to be pushed, particularly yeah. in Congress, which is the most resistant organization to change of any in the country. But we, there are actual practical things like money that matter. Sure, right. So just going back to something you said earlier, you said the fight in the Democratic Party is between young and old, and the energy is, is on the side of, of, of the young, and I think that's, I think that's right. Who's got the, the ability to capture that, that group of voters? You know, Bernie really was uh, good at that the last go-round. Do you think he still has that sort of in his, uh, in his back pocket? I think he has them, but he's, he's going to have a fight to keep them. Uh, there, the, what happened in this past election was really interesting. Uh, Beto O'Rourke, should he run, had a huge yeah. outpouring of support uh, for young people. Uh, there are other people on the on the ballot that we don't know yet how they're going to do when they get out there. Uh, Elizabeth obviously has some significant support in young people. Uh, so, yeah, Bernie goes in with a big advantage, I think. But again, he's at 15 percent in the polls in Iowa right now. And anything can happen in this race. And yeah. I just think this is the time to let the let the voters are going to choose. This should not be chosen sure. by, you know, people like me on television. Yeah. So lastly, give give Democrats your advice. How would you tell them to take on Trump? Because, right, that's that's the ballgame here. Getting through the that's, primary that's, is one thing, but eventually exactly one will have to take right. on Trump. The only way to take on Trump is to let take Trump, Trump take himself on. Everybody is reminded, except for the 35 percent that would turn a blind eye if he shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, as he mm -hmm. famously said, and you, Trump will remind us how much everybody dislikes and doesn't trust Donald Trump every day of the campaign. We do not need to do that. What we need to do is have a significant plan for the economy, particularly in the states that voted for Trump, to, to help all people, all working people, not just the poor whites or whatever the thing is there, just help people and get a better economy. We have a, a two-sided economy. One is for the people who've made all the money under Trump's tax cut. And now it's the people, and the other is the vast majority of people who are paying more taxes, they're now discovering, uh, because Trump gave the, all the tax money to the rich people. That's, 
that is our message is we can have a better economy. We can start to tackle things like global warming. We ought to have a universal health care system. It doesn't have to be, there's gonna be eight versions of Medicare for all. Uh, yeah. So let's just pick one that works. And you can't get rid of everybody's health insurance tomorrow. People are not gonna want that. They don't like to be told what to the, the government, by the government what to do. We can nope. come to a reasonable solution here. Uh, the yeah. thing is not to fall to Donald Trump's bait. Let's not talk about Donald Trump. He'll do plenty of that. We'll yeah. talk about what we're gonna do for the American people. Governor Howard Dean, thanks so much for your time tonight. Great talking Thank to you. Thank you, thanks. Thanks. Okay, speaking of the crowded 2020 field, what makes Senator Kamala Harris say she is the right Democrat to win back the White House? She talks to John King. Inside Politics tomorrow morning, 8 Eastern. Up next, it's not just Democrats who need to figure out their 2020 path. The president has to campaign too, but not too hard if his own party has anything to say about it. I'll explain. And later, I'm going to talk to a former New England patriot about the story everyone is talking about, including the president. Billionaire Patriots owner Robert Kraft ensnared in a sex sting. Moving from the primary to the general election, the president has a campaign of his own. He reportedly can't wait to get started. And in an unprecedented arrangement, the RNC has merged their field and fundraising programs with Trump's reelection campaign into a joint entity known as Trump Victory. One Republican Maryland governor, Larry Hogan, railed against the move by the RNC, saying, I've never seen anything like it, and I've been involved in the Republican Party for most of my life. It's very undemocratic. The popular governor blasted the RNC for appearing to box out a potential primary challenger to Trump. He himself has flirted with a primary run, saying he plans to visit New Hampshire in the spring. I hear it's lovely. Here he was on CBS earlier this week. The chance of him losing a general election are, 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 are pretty, pretty good. I'm not saying he couldn't win, but he's pretty weak in the general election. At some point, if he weakened further, Republicans would say we're concerned about uh, whether or not he's going to win, uh, if we're going to face a very far left uh, Democratic nominee, and uh, is he going to take the rest of us down with him? Now, primarying incumbent presidents is not usually a winning battle, but um, Trump has some weaknesses. Low approval ratings, an unpopular national emergency, investigations, etc. Here to discuss, Democratic strategist and co-host of Rising on the Hill TV, the Hill TV, uh, Crystal Ball, and CNN political commentator, former Republican Congressman Charlie Dent. Okay, Congressman Dent, would Larry Hogan have a real shot, or is this sort of just like a pipe dream for never Trumpers? Well, today I, I don't think he has a, a chance of winning a primary, mm -hmm. but. The primary election is not today either. Right. Uh, and so yeah, we're still waiting on a Mueller report. There's a lot that can happen between now and then. I think Governor Hogan is right uh, that the RNC shouldn't be putting their hands so heavily on the scale. Yeah. Right. Uh, what, what, what are they afraid of? Uh, nobody likes a device of primary, obviously, but yeah. sometimes uh, it can do He some made good. that point, too. What are they so afraid of? Yeah. Uh, Republicans are fairly united behind Trump. They and are. I think it looks like sort of coming from a place of weakness. It does a little bit, but on the other hand, I mean, what Trump has made the Republican Party stand for, like, basically as one uniting principle, is being for Trump. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that he would subsume the RNC. And look, I would love to imagine that Larry Hogan would have a chance. I am obviously way further to the left than he is. Yeah. But I respect the guy. He's been a good governor. People like him. He's got character. Super popular, yeah. Super popular, effective. And I would love the idea of a Republican Party where he could be at the helm. But Sing 
Bring it, sister. It ain't happening. I know. Um, <laughs> Charlie, we know that in some ways President Trump hasn't really stopped running for president um, since he was since he was elected. But do you think he can just run the 2016 campaign on repeat, or have things changed? I think he will try to run the campaign on yeah. repeat. I mean, yeah. he, I think he's incapable of doing anything else. Rallies and tweets. You, right. know, you keep reading about how they're trying to bring structure to the campaign yeah. and this corporate structure. Yeah. They, they can bring all the structure they want, but they're never going to bring message discipline because the yeah. president is going to say whatever he... Whatever enters his brain is going to come out of his mouth, right. either through his Twitter feed or at a rally. So. Right. You know what's so interesting mm -hmm. and unusual about him and his reelect is even after having been president for four years, he will still run as an outsider. I mean, yeah. he still is seen as an outsider. Mm -hmm. And that's a really that's I mean, really what makes him more unusual and dangerous than anything. If you look at Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania. Yeah, he's running against the. He's he still at 46, 47 percent approval rating. Yeah. I mean, this guy's got a path to getting reelected. I hate to say it, but it's true. Right. Um, sitting always, pre sitting presidents always face the same challenge when they run for reelection. They want to tout their accomplishments, right? But right. they can't say, "But we did it all." They have to say, "There's still a lot more work to do," right? So this will be a challenge for Trump. He can't say, "Well, we did it. America's great again." But he'll want to, right? Because that's sort of his nature, is to brag and boast. How can he sort of navigate that trickiness? He's going to say, look at all that we've accomplished, and the evil, scary, socialist yeah. Dems are going to ruin it all. And plus, we've got to finish that wall, right? Right, right, right. Well, yeah, he's going to say, look, I've made great changes on taxes, regulatory reform. He's going to take credit. He's like, we've we stood up Economy. to China on, the, right. on, on trade. Uh, and you know, and it, but he's going to say, you're right, that, but the wall's not done, and that's right. why you need me for four more years or whatever else he's going to say. The and establishment kept me from getting the wall done. I didn't get it the first two years when I had control, control of but I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it next time. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about this, Charlie, but going back to the RNC and their decision to sort of box out primary challengers and really, um, you know, wrap their arms around this campaign. I was remembering back, I'm sure you remember this too, when the RNC like chased Trump down during the 2015 um, campaign uh, cycle and like got him to sign a loyalty pledge, oh, right? Yeah. That he would run as a Republican. One of my most shameful memories of that election season because it just looked so desperate and pathetic. And here was a guy who couldn't care less about the Republican Party. He didn't, it didn't matter to him. He's not concerned about preserving what it means. Mm -mm. Is the RNC making a similar mistake now? Uh, I think they are. Look, everybody knows that uh, you know Trump more or less engaged in a hostile takeover of the Republican Party. Yeah, he's taken it over. Yeah, and and let's face it, you know during the Access Hollywood issue, many in the RNC walked away mm -hmm. uh, from candidate Trump at the yeah. time, and now I think they've gone full bore in the other direction. You know, again, demanding loyalty oaths from everybody at the RNC and doing everything they can to muscle out any would be yeah. uh, primary challenger. Yeah. Crystal, do you think that Democrats have learned any lessons from 2016? I know what that look means, girl. <laughs> no, they haven't learned. They haven't figured I mean, out Trump. Can I say here? No. And I mean, I don't know that anybody has figured out Trump, so I don't want to be unfair. But I, I do. One thing that drives me a little crazy is we do get caught up in this, like, where are the, on, the ideological spectrum? Mm -hmm. And it's just not how most voters approach this. Yeah. We have got to, if Democrats want to win, they have got to have someone 
who can come across credibly as a change maker and an outsider. Mm -hmm. Because you look at every election, swing, swing, swing. Yeah. People are unhappy with so where the that? country is headed. Who is it? I don't know today. Okay. I wish I could tell you. Well, we've got time. We've got plenty of time. We'll do <laughs> this conversation myself again. Uh, Crystal, Congressman, thanks so much for joining Thank me. Thank you, Essie. Okay, the president heads to Hanoi this week for his second summit with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. So will the U.S. get anything other than a commemorative coin? Former U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Bill Richardson will join me and later an arrest warrant is likely to be issued for Patriots owner Robert Kraft on Monday. I'll have the details. Stick around. The final major court filing in special counsel Robert Mueller's longest running case was released today. In the redacted sentencing memo for former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, prosecutors argue that Manafort demonstrated a hardened adherence to committing crimes and a lack of remorse. They add that there's no reason his guilty plea and agreement to cooperate should help him get a lighter sentence, noting... His criminal actions were bold, some of which were committed while under a spotlight due to his work as the campaign chairman and later while he was on bail from this court. A handy list of everyone Manafort deceived was in the filing, including tax preparers, bookkeepers, banks, the Treasury, the DOJ, the FBI, the special counsel's office, the grand jury, his own attorneys, members of Congress, members of the executive branch. So factoring on all that, prosecutors told the judge his prison time in the cases can be stacked. He'll be sentenced in Virginia first, followed by sentencing for two crimes in D.C. for up to 25 and 10 years, respectively. We'll be back in two minutes. In the red file tonight, it's round two for President Trump and Kim Jong-un. The president is set to meet with the North Korean leader next week in Vietnam. Considering how little Kim conceded in the last meeting, hopes of the U.S. getting details on North Korea's nuclear arsenal, forget giving up its nuclear ambitions, are slim. What should be complicating the situation are troubling developments on North Korea's latest human rights abuses. But President Trump doesn't seem all that bothered, telling reporters that he had a great conversation about the upcoming trip and that he expects the meeting to be very exciting. But a shocking report from North Korea's strategy center based on interviews with 20 current and former high-ranking members of the Kim regime reveals Kim Jong-un has exiled, imprisoned, or executed opponents of his outreach to the U.S. and South Korea. As Trump prepares to meet with the dictator, it's anyone's guess as to whether this will come up. Former New Mexico governor and former U.N. ambassador Bill Richardson joins me now to discuss. So, Governor, what do you expect to come out of this second, second summit? Well... There will be some people, people, positives like uh, more remains, recoveries, possibly oh, a like liaison office, yeah. like last time, yeah. liaison office between the United States and North Korea, which will be good in terms of dialogue. Okay. But the big issue is going to be what will North Korea do on nuclearization that they've promised to do, which they haven't done on right. on missile curbs on nuclear detonations, weapons of mass destruction. Right. This is something I've negotiated with the North Koreans. They'll wait yeah. till the last minute. Mm. The big guy that Kim Jong-un has to approve things. Our people are negotiating in Hanoi right now before the summit. But we won't know till the president and Kim Jong-un meet on Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. Well, the last one, people argued and criticized the last one for giving Kim credibility, which, which he craves. Is this sort of setting up the same kind of scenario? Well, 
I think the last one, Kim Jong-un did emerge as the winner because he got credibility. Yeah. He got to sit with the president of the United States. Right. And he didn't concede much. But it did reduce tensions in that peninsula. I'll give the president credit. Okay. Tensions are less. But we got to see. They committed to complete denuclearization. But they've done very little, almost right, nothing. Right. Uh, they've shot up some uh, uh, nuclear reactors. Uh, they have reduced. They've had no missile testing, no nuclear detonations. But they have committed to allowing us to move ahead with finding out where their missiles and nuclear weapons are. Yeah. Secondly, curbing them, reducing them, destroying some. But they haven't done anything yet, so we will see. Well, and Trump has been saying, look, I'm in no rush. I'm in no rush to get a deal. Do you think that's his way of maybe lowering expectations? Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's lowering expectations uh, and saying, well, look, this is going to be a long process. I think as long as we establish a framework for negotiations, North Koreans reduce their nuclear, their missile activity, we reduce sanctions. As long as we set some negotiating patterns and framework, I think the summit will be okay. Maybe on human rights issues, on remains of our soldiers, right. which is very important. If there's some progress, it'd be mildly successful. It's not going to be a huge success, but at least we're moving forward. But you don't know until the last minute. Right. With Kim Jong-un will make the final decisions. The North Koreans don't like to make the first move. We made the first move. I think we made a mistake by reducing the presence of the U.S. and South Korean military yeah. in the last summit. Let them make a move. And they're very wily. I know them. Uh. They, they, they wait till the last minute, yeah. and then they do very little. Do you expect that latest report that I mentioned about the Kim regime executing opponents of his U.S. and South Korean outreach, do you expect that to come up? Yeah, I think the president should raise human rights issues, religious freedom. Uh, he should say, look. But will uh, he? Well, I hope he does. Yeah. I don't know if he will. But we know that Kim Jong-un executes, terminates, uh, dilutes his opponents. We know that. that that's his standard operating procedure. He still is in a situation where he wants to keep his power. But I think that with the president... If he feels reasonably secure and if he wants this process to move forward, he's got to make some concessions on denuclearization, on <coughs> missiles, on weapons of mass destruction, saying, look, we're not going to do any more missile testing that affects uh, the U.S. borders or Japan right. or South Korea. Yeah. But nonetheless, you know, tensions are less. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the president wants a big swagger. Oh, I'm going to bring peace uh, it's still a long way forward these he guys wants that give, nobel peace prize yeah these guys <laughs> give very little yeah. especially at the very end and in a summit uh governor bill richardson thanks so much for coming up i appreciate it uh okay after the break 100 men two of them billionaires one of them a super bowl winner uh many times over allegedly solicited sex i'll have that next the bombshell news that New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft is facing solicitation charges related to a prostitution sting in Jupiter, Florida, has certainly gotten everyone's attention. As part of a months-long multi-agency investigation into international human trafficking, law enforcement officials say that Kraft, along with over 100 men across Florida, engaged in sex acts with women who were brought to the United States 
under false pretenses and held as virtual prisoners. Jupiter police say they have video of Kraft being driven to the Orchids of Asia day spa and also from inside the room where he received, quote, paid acts. The investigation, which targeted massage parlors across Florida, extends as far as New York and China. And as it turns out, has swept up more than one billionaire. Authorities in Vero Beach, Florida, plan to charge private equity CEO John Childs for solicitation. Childs has denied any wrongdoing. And no surprise, both the New England Patriots, who won their sixth Super Bowl this year, and the New England Revolution, a major league soccer team that Robert Kraft also owns, they have separately issued the same statement on Friday, which said, quote, we categorically deny that Mr. Kraft engaged in any illegal activity. Because it's a judicial matter, we will not be commenting further. Despite the denials, the news was big enough it even got President Trump's attention. He had this to say about the charges to be levied against Kraft. Well, it's very sad. Uh, I was very surprised to see it. Uh, he's proclaimed his innocence totally, and uh, but I'm very surprised to see it. All right, let me bring in former NFL wide receiver Dante Stallworth on this. Dante, um, first, let's just get your reaction to the news. Um, I think it's uh, when I first heard it, uh, being a former player for the Patriots, uh, it was disappointing because you know all of the good things that Mr. Kraft has done yeah. uh, throughout his time as an NFL owner. He's donated over $400 million to numerous charity uh, causes, and honestly, he's one of the more liked, uh, he's one of the more liked uh, team owners in all of the NFL and, and really all of yeah. sports from his players. So it was disappointing to see this and he's categorically denied all uh, mm -hmm. charges that are against him but you know we'll, we'll see how it plays out uh, I guess uh, you know starting early next week when he when he's allegedly supposed to be charged officially yeah. for what's happened well I gotta be honest I mean it felt a little like overkill to me I mean these are misdemeanor charges um, do you think it's fair that Kraft is being sort of blown up and um, you know really focused on for his alleged crimes I think it's a tough situation because obviously uh, human trafficking is a big, big issue. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, according to FBI statistics, it is uh, the third uh, worst crime in the world. Uh, the third crime that is uh, growing. Yeah. At a, at a high uh, rate. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's obviously an issue. It's an issue in this country and it's an issue around the world. And he is being charged with uh, soliciting sex. Right now, there there are a lot of people who have come out and, and said, uh, you know that that they that they personally some legal analysts actually on uh, CNN have said they feel like it's it has been blown up a little bit. Um, you know I, I really yeah. can't speak to that. I, I do believe though that uh, you know Mr. Kraft will obviously have his day. He'll be able to speak on it more more uh, yeah. openly, more broadly, and I, I would like to hear from him what he has to say. And I know sure. the people of uh, New England who he's done so much for and who love him dearly. I know they would like to hear it as well. Well, so talk to me about the NFL personal conduct policy, because it applies to owners, too. Mm -hmm. The NFL conduct policy states, uh, and, and Roger Goodell has said on numerous occasions, that he holds uh, the owners to a higher standard than he does the players and that they will receive harsher punishment than uh, NFL players have. And when we've seen uh, probably the harshest punish punishment, uh, maybe not just in the NFL, but probably in all the sports, was uh, levied against the New Orleans Saints with the whole quote-unquote uh, so-called bounty gate where right. uh, the, the coaches were alleged or the NFL had found that the coaches were alleged to uh, have paid players to uh, 
kind of you know there's a pay for play kind of system there yeah and where the head coach was suspended for the season the general manager was suspended for the first half of the season which equaled eight games um other players were suspended but were overturned and that was that was a big those sanctions were huge and so but again that was a system that that the nfl said that was that was kind of uh rampant throughout the yeah. pro- throughout the program so this yeah. specifically with mr Kraft. I don't know how the NFL is going to respond. I, I, yeah. I assume that Roger Goodell will find him the maximum, which is five hundred thousand uh, dollars, like he did with Jim Irsay, who had a DUI uh, a few years right. ago. And then uh, I, I expect him to be suspended, uh, you know, uh, pending the pending the allegations. Hmm. Dante, thanks so much for your perspective. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I see. Happy birthday, too, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Now, I might not care all that much that Bob Kraft solicited a prostitute, but the part of this story that should be very disturbing to everyone, allegations of human trafficking. We'll discuss that next. The women to my left, on the other hand, uh, symbolized by those six shadows, are never probably going to have the color and the light that the men have because they, they came here in the shadows, they worked in the shadows, and unless we're successful where others have not been, they are likely to stay in the shadows. That was Martin County, Florida Sheriff William Snyder, who initially unveiled the results of the multi-agency sex trafficking investigation at a press conference on Tuesday. At the time, it didn't draw much national attention, but the sheriff indicated that eventually it most certainly would. He was right. Robert Kraft now faces two misdemeanor counts of soliciting prostitution. But for the women whom authorities are treating as victims of human trafficking, the price is already so much higher. Let me bring in Dr. Kimberly Melman Orozco, the author of Hidden in Plain Sight, America's Slaves of the New Millennium. She's an expert on human trafficking. Um, doctor, thanks for joining me. Everyone's talking about Bob Kraft, but this story is so much bigger than that. It's about those women. Absolutely, and I think that this is one of the things that I've noted. I was sort of surprised on why people were so taken back that he was implicated, because Mr. Kraft, if the allegations are proven true, really does fit the demographic profile of commercial sex consumers in the United States. He's affluent, he's educated, he's a prominent member of, of society, and besides being a billionaire owner of, a, of a, a sports team, he fits that profile. But these women, they are in the shadows. They are hidden in plain sight, and oftentimes they don't have a platform to tell their stories. And I think that this uh, this actual situation will be one of those opportunities to find out what was actually going on in this particular case. Well, and the authorities in this case said that the women involved are predominantly Chinese immigrants who were brought here under false pretenses and, and, and sort of forced into this work. What happens to them now? The sheriff did not seem too sanguine about their future prospects. Well, that description actually matches what I found on some of these commercial sex consumer forums. These guys are describing and providing anecdotes of these women who have been recalcitrant to their sexual advances, sometimes not wanting to provide them, which I think is a huge red flag that they are possible victims of sex trafficking. And unfortunately, in my work, I've seen a lot of the times these victims, after they are rescued, and I write about this extensively in the book and in my Mm -hmm. opinion editorials, they they oftentimes find themselves back in the commercial 
commercial sex industry. They are re-victimized, sometimes erroneously criminalized. They're denied services. Oftentimes we can't find them residential placement. Um, they aren't receiving the trauma-informed therapy that they need. And it's really a, a, a cycle that needs to be stopped. There is, in many cases, uh, this one, for instance, a language barrier that prevents these women from speaking up. And they were, according to authorities, forced to sleep on massage tables, cook their meals out back. They never left. They were essentially prisoners. Um, And investigators say that the men who engaged this service are in part responsible for their misery. Do you think it's possible that solicitors um, didn't know that these people were being sort of held against their will? I think that's absolutely possible. Um, This is a very clandestine crime that, as I write, it's hidden in plain sight. Um, And it's difficult to discern a consenting sex worker from a sex trafficked Mm. victim. But there are certainly red flags. I just think that it's oftentimes overlooked, especially by the men who are purchasing uh, services from them. So 100 men have been caught up in this and arrest warrants are expected to be filed on Monday. Law enforcement doesn't typically go after the the Johns. Um, What message do you think they're trying to send here? I think that a lot of anti-trafficking nonprofits have started to push for Johns to be held responsible. And Mm -hmm. these men, they they refer to themselves not as Johns, but as mongers or hobbyists. And I think that they're trying to go after the demand and hoping that going after the demand will help um, address some of the issues with supply and women being sex trafficked. And Mm -hmm. I think that it is a Sisyphean task. I don't know if it'll ever be accomplished, but I think it's, it's noble of them to try. And I think that it's good that they are criminalizing the men as opposed to commercial sex workers, whether they're consenting or not, or sex trafficked victims, because for far too long we've seen these women criminalized. So I think it's a good change of the tide. Um, Real quick, I want to ask you about R. Kelly. He was in court facing his own set of sex crime charges. He's currently being investigated by um, the Department of Homeland Security, which investigates sex trafficking. What's your take? Personally, I don't see this as a sex trafficking case. I don't mm-hmm. see exploitation in it, and exploitation needs is a critical component. I didn't see him benefit from the work of these women. With that being said, mm-hmm. what was described in the documentary and according to publicly available yeah. information, he absolutely do, did use techniques that are used, and I've seen right. used, by sex traffickers. Doctor, I really appreciate your insight on this. Thanks. That does it for me. Up next, Van Jones sits down with Congressman Joe Kennedy. Tune in to hear why Kennedy is backing Elizabeth Warren in 2020. Plus, political comedian Hassan Minaj talks to Van about fighting censorship. Don't miss The Van Jones Show. That's next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.